This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Man, God's mission is unstoppable. Nothing can stop him. It's like a train. You have to respect it, right? Either get, hop on or get out of the way, right? It's going to keep going. And, and that's what we're talking about right now. Hi, Summit. All right, had a fantastic weekend with Summit this last weekend. Um, I'm here, my name is Rob, uh, and my wife and I, uh, we're here for a period of time right now, just by way of introduction. Um, so here's a, a photo of me, great, huh? on the upper left-hand corner. <laughs> yes, and my wife, and, and uh, I grew up in Oregon, and I thought in Oregon it rained a lot until I came to Colorado. Um, man, it rains a lot here, and when it rains, it pours literally uh, when I was a junior in college, at a college in uh, upstate New York, I received an invitation uh, to go to France on a mission trip, and that was back in 1998, so that dates me a little bit. For the Summit people, I'm kind of on the old end. For the rest of you, I'm, hopefully, I'm still a little bit on the young, so that depends on where you're at in that. In fact, multiple people said, well, Rob, because you're a lot older, and then continue the phrase, so don't you love that? Love you guys. So in 1998, I received this invitation. I went to France the, the summer of 1998, and then again the summer of 1999. A couple of things happened. One of them was uh, I met this girl, and uh, she was beautiful. She loved Jesus, and she had a French accent. So what do you do, right? <laughs> you marry her. <laughs> and she was from Montreal. Her first language is French. She spoke some English. But the English she had had a great accent, so it was great. Um, we were married on Cannon Beach. Uh, so that's a photo from our wedding. Uh, and so just probably a few blocks from where Ryan's preaching right now. Yes. Uh, interesting connection there. Another thing that God did in my heart back in 1998 was I, I knew the French were different. I mean, they loved cheese and wine and not invading countries and things like that. But... Um, <laughs> I was surprised because I had assumed that from a spiritual standpoint, we're going to have fun, right? So we're going to, I've been in a French-speaking culture for the last 12 years, so there are going to be all kinds of things going to fly out here. So I apologize if that's offensive. to. I know how we all love the French. So I assumed that there was some kind of, that spiritually, there was, there, uh, the, the French-speaking world is probably similar to the United States uh, in a lot of ways. And what I found was that in each uh, village and area, there were these cathedrals that were mainly empty, uh, and so they were mainly the, the skeletal remains of a dead or dying religious institution. And, and it was incredible to me, personally, uh, as I began to realize, I mean, how, how many churches that are probably partly or mostly full, um, at least a good amount of people, did you pass uh, church buildings to arrive here this morning? You go to France and you just don't see any, anywhere. Um, how about the radio? I mean, just a few months ago, I was going through a radio dial here in the States, and uh, I think I hit three different sermons just going through, seeking through the dial one time, and billboards and things like that. Now, we know that there is all kinds of work to do in the United States. There, there are issues in the United States, and we can all say amen to that. We have a long list of those. Um, but what, what struck me and what really broke my heart is, this is a photo from the Sacré-Cœur, the Sacred Heart Cathedral. It's up on a hill overlooking Paris. As I was looking out uh, over 11 plus million Parisians, 
is that the vast majority of these people, not only have they never opened this book, but they didn't know anyone who had. I'll never forget that day. Came back um, from my trip in 1999 and applied to an organization called World Venture. They have hundreds of workers all around the world uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and doing all kinds of things uh, from reforestation to find, uh, fighting human trafficking to starting new churches all in the name of Jesus Christ. And while we were getting ready to go, um, through a series of events, we were invited to Quebec, Canada. And for those of you who don't know, Quebec, Canada is about the size of Alaska. And there are about seven plus million French speakers in Quebec, Canada. So almost double the population of Colorado. And when you enter into, you cross the border into Quebec, all of a sudden all the signs are in French, all the radio's in French, the television is, is in French, and the cheese is in French, it's great. Um, so you, um, and I just like to say, so if you're watching, merci beaucoup à mes amis au Québec, je vous aime vraiment beaucoup. Um, and God called us there. And we have the privilege of being a part for the last 12 years of God raising up people and sending them out into communities and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing people put their faith in Jesus Christ and then proclaim that publicly through baptism, uh, one church after another after another. We were able to work with individual local churches as well as work with, um, I was on a, a provincial church planting committee that oversaw church planting all throughout Quebec. So we saw a couple dozen uh, church planters sent out into different communities and see people meet Jesus for the first time. It was awesome. Well, we got to a point, and, and we're privileged to do that, where we actually were able to complete uh, the nine-year plan that we laid out and pass the baton off to local church leaders in Quebec, as well as in these regional committees. Uh, and so we came back to the United States on this, uh, this furlough, this home assignment concept, and uh, right now we're praying about next steps. Uh, and the possibility is France, there are some opportunities we'd like to go and visit. We're not exactly sure yet, we're praying about that. Uh, but what we do know is that for right now, we're here. And we know that God is working here. And God has called us to make and multiply to disciple, making disciples everywhere we are, everywhere we go, while we're here. And then when and if God calls us somewhere else, then we'll make disciples there. And I think that's the call for every single follower of Jesus where we are right now, and then if God calls us, uproots us, and takes us to Afghanistan or Highlands Ranch, and it sounds like there are equivalents here, um, <laughs> from the way people talk about Highlands Ranch, um, well, then we make disciples there. Let's talk about this mission. So oh, here's my, so my wife, Martin, right over here, and uh, my son, Caleb, my daughter, Constance, and my guess is Caleb is probably going to know all of you personally by the end of this year. He's like a maximum extrovert, so on the Myers-Briggs, he's like off the chart. So if he's not with somebody for about two minutes, uh, he's, he's freaking out. Um, and my wife is an introvert. So we're talking about God's unstoppable movement. Don't you love it? We have these great family dynamics. It's awesome. And I'm sure in your family you have those as well. So right now we're talking about this relentless love of God, God's love and God's pursuit of humanity all throughout history. And what I'd like to do is just start way over here and go all the way back to the book of Genesis where Ryan has been. And God created all of creation, the entire universe, and Adam and Eve. 
Uh, and, um, and I love how, how Matt Chandler put it when he's talking about perfection, living that. And Matt Chandler, he says, you know, there was, al- there was alcohol, but there was no drunkenness. There was sexuality, there was no lust. You know, there was marriage, there were no in-laws. I mean, it was just a perfect time. Um, <laughs> I love my in-laws, but... Then we, we see Adam and Eve decided to rebel against that God and choose the one thing. Like God said, you can have everything. Just don't do this one thing. We're like, what are we going to do? We're going to do the one thing, right? That's, of course, none of us are like that. Yeah, we're completely, like, we would have not, not have done that because in our lives we don't do that ever, right? So, um, and, and I, sarcasm. I hope that's acceptable here. So as we walk through, we see that in Genesis 3.15, right after, God makes this statement that he will not leave Adam and Eve and humanity alone. He is sending somebody who's going to rectify this, and there will be a, a, a renewing of his creation. That's coming, and he's reaching out to humanity. And then this starts to unfold throughout history, and Ryan talked about Abraham and God calling him out and calling out Israel as a nation and pursuing. And then we move forward, and we see Moses, and then we see uh, other characters like David and Solomon, and Solomon in his, his dedication of the temple, talking about the nations as a whole, hearing about the one true God, and then we hear about the prophets and people like Daniel, who was kidnapped as a young boy and and ripped out of his country and brought to a foreign land. And you can imagine how traumatic that was. What is God doing? Well, God uses Daniel to impact Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the entire known world, to proclaim that there's one true God, and he's the God of Israel. And we're seeing this happen again and again, and the prophets are pointing forward to somebody who's coming, somebody who's coming, and we finally get to the Gospels, and we find out his name, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he's a person, God come in the flesh, and he walked through life, and he was fatigued, and he was betrayed, and he was rejected, and he was, there was conflict, and there were all of these things, and these emotional scars, and and everything that, I mean, we weep, he wept. We've been betrayed, he was betrayed. We have gone through relationships that are so arduous and just rip our heart out. He did that. His people closest to him, he's gone through that. And then he gave his life up on the cross voluntarily. I love that scene where they ask Jesus, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And I think his response is, I am he. And everyone falls down. Like if there's any doubt that it's voluntarily, at that moment we realize he is giving his life up. But not only does he die on the cross, he conquers death in the resurrection, death, sin, all of our spiritual enemies, And then he appears to his disciples and other groups of people. And then at this point in time, that's where we're at this morning, is when Jesus begins to unleash this new concept, this concept of the church, to join in the mission that's been going from the beginning of time in Genesis all the way to today, and unleashing his church to join and be a part of that mission and then what do we see? This mission start, begins to grow. It goes out from Jerusalem into Samaria, Judea, Samaria, other parts of the world, up to, uh, to Europe, down to North Africa, to parts of Asia. Begins to cross up to places like Ireland, up to Scandinavia. We're see, we see uh, you know, these crazy Vikings uh, that are just 
tenacious um, and, and violent people that put their faith in Christ. We see transformed societies. And finally, it gets all the way across the uh, Atlantic Ocean to this place called the Americas and works its way west and finally gets up to this place called Littleton. And eventually, this church is planted called South. This is all part of this God's relentless love for humanity, and now we can join it and be a part of it here today. And then if we keep going, we, we read all the way to the end to Revelation, and what do we see in Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 21, is we see this massive um, multitude of people, every tribe, language uh, in the entire world, representatives of all of these peoples together, worshiping God. And one of the things that's that's remarkable about these scenes is that we see that these are different people with different languages. They don't become identical, but we become unified in our worship of the one true God. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's on its way, and we have the privilege of participating and being a part of that today, right here, right now. The church unleashed this morning, and we're going to look and dive into Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And I pray that even if you've read this a hundred times, a thousand times, seen this on, on the wall over here or elsewhere, that God will open your eyes to different aspects of this. Uh, Christopher J. Wright says this, mission is not ours, mission is God's. Certainly the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And we have the privilege of being a part of that. Let's pray together. God, uh, open our eyes to how great and mighty and awesome you are and what you are doing all around us, both in our communities that we're living in right now and across the oceans. And thank you for your love and desire for every single one of us, each one of us to be a part, play a unique role in this mission. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So growing up, I had the faulty assumption that the mission of God began in Matthew 28 when Jesus said in my English Bible, go. That's where I thought it began. Well, the last few weeks we've been deconstructing that and realizing it starts way back then. But not only that, there isn't only one commission And this this surprised me, but we start to walk through the life and teachings of Jesus and we realize that this, this concept of mission flows through everything Jesus is saying and doing, how he's interacting with the Samaritan woman, how he's speaking to different Greeks that are coming to him, and how he's overturning all of these um, obstacles and these these man-made barriers. And I'll just look at, look at five of these, uh, these places, it, these commissions, just really quickly. And hopefully, so Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Um, have you ever wondered, when Jesus was resurrected, why did he hang around for 40 days before the ascension? I mean, was he getting Starbucks? What was he doing? 
Just waiting until, like, really? No, when we read attentively, we realize there are several things going on. First of all, he's spending time with his disciples. He's spending personal time with them, and he's healing them. He's drawing them to himself. He's wooing them. He makes breakfast for Peter. I don't know how many guys, like, breakfast is a good way to woo, right? So if you're wondering, that's, that's a great thing. He does that. And then we also see he's walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. And then we see uh, also in these particular places, he's commissioning them. He's explaining to them, this is what I'm unleashing you into. This is what it is. Uh, And he does that multiple times in multiple occasions, multiple places. Uh, And the first one we're going to look at is Matthew 28. The location is a mountain in Galilee. And it's at least three days after the resurrection. So Jesus is resurrected. The disciples are in Jerusalem when that happens. Well, then what happened? So he says he's going to meet them on a mountain in Galilee. That's at least a three days walk. They didn't have trains. They didn't have um, freeways. And the second one, we look at Mark. The location is in Jerusalem, and it's the evening of the resurrection. So these are the commissions where Jesus is saying variations of go into all the world, make disciples as you're going. I mean, what this commission looks like. These are variations of this. So in Mark, Luke, um, in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, uh, that The location is Jerusalem, and it is the evening of the resurrection. We know it's Jerusalem. He had just spent time walking on the road to Emmaus. And then uh, that evening, he spends time with the disciples. Um, In John chapter 20, the location is Jerusalem, and the evening um, is the evening of the resurrection. However, uh, his wording is so radically different from Luke's wording that this must absolutely be something different that Jesus said that evening. How about Acts? The book of Acts, it it most definitely takes place in Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And this happens, takes place 40 days after Luke's commission. So are you seeing him? Jesus is spending time with his disciples. And he's saying, all right, there's this new thing. I'm sending you out. I spent time with you. Now it's time to get to work. I have a role. I have a task for you as the church, and I'm unleashing you into the world. And he's, he, he repeats this again and again and again and again throughout this 40-day period of time. What we see is the gospel genre climaxes with the death, burial, and resurrection and commission of Jesus' disciples every time. No, no other thing that Jesus said gets this kind of treatment. And what we can gather from that, there are a number of things. One of them is that all followers of Jesus, not only a small minority, have the privilege and responsibility to make disciples. Everyone has a role to play. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of this. You can say, well, I'm not like the other person. I'm not like Ryan. I'm not like Pastor Dan. Praise God that you're not. Because God has not called them to your community in the same way he's called you. God has not placed them in your family the way he's placed you. This is going to look differently in each person's life. We're each unique, but we're all called to this. Where we are, as we're going, to make disciples 
young or old, rich or poor, experienced or inexperienced, we're called to the same mission. Now, just one key thing. Perhaps you're already involved in the church here and you're doing things. You're involved in a ministry of some sort. That's great. I am not asking you to try harder or to work more. I'm asking you to think, think through right now and think about what you're doing as you're working, as you're at home, as you're in your community, and ask yourself, as I'm doing these things, am I making disciples or am I just accomplishing tasks? God calls us to make disciples. Each follower of Christ is unique and God desires to use that uniqueness to multiply unique disciples for his glory. We don't have to be like somebody else. God has gifted us uniquely. This is the church unleashed. What we see, first of all, in Matthew 28 is the church is unleashed on an authorized mission. And let's jump back to 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's kind of weird. Have you seen that before? I love this for two reasons. First of all, we have the false notion that if I have true faith, that I will never struggle. Not true. This life is a journey, and there will be times and periods in our life where, man, for different various reasons, we're going to struggle with different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. Secondly, Matthew is not sugarcoating anything. I'm thinking, if I was writing this, and I was just trying to get somebody to believe in Jesus, like I wasn't concerned about truth, then I would write about, there was a lot of doubting, and then Jesus showed up, and then no one doubted. That's how I would write it. And Matthew's saying, when some doubted. No, he's, he's not sugarcoating. He's being honest and saying, this is what happened. Now, you make the decision to follow Jesus. So verse 18, that's where we are. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now jump to verse 20 at the end. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we'll jump back to the middle in a second. So the one who has all authority, who's in charge, is with us all the way to the end of the age. Jesus, God the Son, has complete dominion. It's the word excusia in Greek. Total power, comprehensive authority. And when I become a follower of Christ, he demands my complete and total allegiance. At that moment, I fundamentally become a child of God, a new creation, a member of the family. My allegiance changes. My loyalty shifts. I am no longer bound by laws or authorities on this earth. My commitment is now to my creator and his direction to me. That sounds kind of scary. Isn't that going to be chaotic? God directs us to be good citizens, to love our neighbors radical love, 
radical obedience to our Father. But what binds us fundamentally? It's because Jesus, our authority, is directing us to obey the laws of the land. Fundamentally, these laws don't bind us. This is kind of scary. So a number of my family members are United States Marines. I think they understand this. Uh, the United States Marines Embassy, uh, the Marine Embassy Guard, um, people in my family have done this, been a part of this. And, and when you're guarding an embassy in a foreign country, uh, you go to that foreign country and you are abiding by the laws in that country to an extent, right? So whether it's Hong Kong or Algeria or um, you know, Canada. But you are abiding by the laws in that country because of, I mean, as you obey the orders of your superiors. So as you are involved in that particular country, if your superior tells you, sends you out as a Marine on a mission that is actually going to um, trespass some of the local laws, and you understand that, well, what's the Marine going to do? Is the Marine going to say, sorry, sir, can't do it? No, the Marine is going to actually, he's going to trespass those laws. But, I mean, as a rogue person, as a, a citizen that is just, at, no, as a citizen of the United States, serving their country, and we love that and appreciate that. So we, as um, followers of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the one true God, I mean, we obey the authorities and of our, our land here because our authority tells us and says, tells us to be good citizens. That's why we obey. I love the story of Tony Dungy. Um, you guys, is Tony Dungy loved in Denver? It's kind of hard to tell sometimes because I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. So, get all this negativity all the time, not sure why. Great Super Bowl a couple years ago, but um, we're all about Christ here, and that's what he binds us, even when other things may separate us. So, Tony, Tony Dungy was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and prior to that, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there's this, this story in his autobiography that I love. Uh, so I, his son, and, and I, if I remember correctly, I think if he got good enough grades or something like that, he could come and stand on the sideline with his father during the game. And so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the away team at another stadium. And uh, his son, the, the, the game was just about ready to start. There are, what, 70,000, 80,000 fans, whatever the amount is, the number is. And all of these people, everything's getting ready. I mean, chaos on the sidelines as they get ready for this. And Tony Dungy is there, all the preparations. His son is there. And a security guard comes up to Tony Dungy and says, uh, I'm sorry, sir, um, but there we have a very strict uh, guideline here, a rule that, that children are not allowed on the sidelines during games. So um, this boy is going to have to leave. And Tony Dungy turns to the security guard and says, well, uh, he can stay. <laughs> and the security guard says, I'm sorry, I have to insist, um, but it, um, we're very strict about this rule. He, he has to leave. And Tony Dungy turns to him and says, no, he's staying. And the security guard says, okay, thank you, and left. <laughs> A few minutes later, he comes back and he says, uh, I'm sorry, sir, but um, this is actually a direct order from the owner of the other team. He's asked me to come down and ask for your son to leave. 
And Tony Dungy turns to him and says something to the effect of, well, tell your owner that he's going to have to refund the tickets of all these 70 to 80,000 people. Because if he leaves, then I'm taking the entire team with us. We're going to leave, and there will not be a game today. <laughs> Security guard says, thank you very much. I'll relay the message. <laughs> okay. <laughs> authority. 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 Jesus is the one who has authority. If there's anyone in this world that needs to not be anxious about the next presidential election or the next Supreme Court case, it's Christians, followers of Jesus. Now, we, we're called to be involved at every level of our society, absolutely be involved, for sure. But anxious, afraid that the sky is falling, Jesus has ultimate authority, and he is with us until the end of the age. This mission is authorized even when political authorities oppose it. It's authorized to exist in public. I love this. When you study church history, the early church, um, they could have taken uh, what I understand claimed to be a cultus privitas. In Latin, it means like a private religion. And just kind of hung out in a dark corner somewhere and said, and, I mean, how often do we get this, you know, this objection? Do I, I hear all the time that your faith is between you and God. It's a personal thing. You know, just kind of just, just keep it at your place. Stop bringing it into the public square. And, uh, and I can understand the objection. The only problem with it is that Jesus won't let me keep it in my private life. He won't let me. Jesus calls me to make disciples who make disciples. And the early church could have taken this cultus privitas and probably avoided a lot of persecution. But instead, they took on the name ecclesia, which means a, a, a public gathering or public assembly with authority. And you can imagine the statement that that made in front of the Roman government. Oh, the, we can't control these people. They say they have an authority above the Roman government. We can't let this go on. And that's the, the, the title that the church took. This mission is also authorized to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we, we see this. Um, all authority has been, I'm sorry, has been given to me to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. This authority we're not a, we are not given authority by Jesus to simply personally believe the gospel. We are given authority by Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Secondly, the church is unleashed to multiply disciples. And that's what we see here. So disciples are not the end game. If disciples are the end game, then they are not disciples at all. They're only converts. This is really important for us to understand. We're not looking for people or ourselves to just assent, to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but Jesus calls me to make other disciples who multiply other disciples. What do we see in this text? What is the imperative? 
There's one imperative, and the, the, the English kind of mangles it. I apologize. There's one imperative in this text. That imperative is make disciples. One command, make disciples. There are three participles. Going, teaching, and baptizing. So as we're going, teaching, and baptizing, so make disciples as we're going, as we're teaching, as we're baptizing. So we are a going people as followers of Christ. We're going, and we're all going somewhere, all of us. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, and you're going to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to work? You're going to go to some event somewhere? You're going to go at some point throughout the week? We're, we're going. So as we're going, make disciples, teaching them to obey not just teaching. We're not looking just for intellectual ascent and more knowledge. We're looking for people who decide to follow the way of Jesus. We bring our life into alignment with Jesus. It's not just saying Jesus is a great guy, saying, no, Jesus demands certain things of me for my own good to bring my life into alignment of his and baptizing this public proclamation that I too am one of these disciples of Jesus. And in many countries around the world, the baptism is a sticking point. We can be involved at a church around the world. We can be, maybe even here, we can attend. But when it comes to baptism, that's the point. I know in Quebec, when a lot of people shied away. Now, I don't want to publicly proclaim this. Baptizing. So we are a going group of people. We are a teaching group of people. We are a baptizing group of people as we're going into our communities, into our workplaces, and all around the world. That's who we are as a body of Christ as we multiply disciples. I love Matthew 23, 15. Let's turn there a couple pages back. This is kind of a scary verse because a lot of us could think that, uh, you know what, if, if we're radical enough, that if we say, I'm going to cross the ocean and I'm going to cross a desert to bring you know, this message to somebody, we, we could look at that person and say, that person's a real, like they're, they're a serious follower of Christ. Not necessarily. It's not in the act of going alone. It's not in the act of trying to be somebody, going to a place. Because look at this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That sounds good, right? Man, you traveled across sea and land. And when, when he becomes a proselyte or a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's scary. Because fundamentally, it's not about going somewhere or doing some great thing. Fundamentally, it's about following Jesus. I know in my own personal life, this is the struggle. Am I willing to say, Jesus, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. I will follow you anywhere. No matter what question you ask me, whatever thing you ask of me, the answer is yes. And if that starts here in my family, in my community, 
at my job, then if at some point in my life God takes me elsewhere, then it's going to be a continuation of that following the way of Jesus. There's this. One of the objections to making disciples is that people don't want to hear. Have you guys felt that way? People don't want to hear. And on the news and around the world, we could say, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go, but people don't want to hear. Uh, Muslim nations, um, other places in the world, like, why would we even go? People in my neighborhood, they, they just don't want to hear. I talked to one person three years ago. They kind of responded negatively. You see? Well, here's a story. There's a, there's a young couple uh, that they were going to Somalia back in the 1990s. Uh, his name is Nick Ripkin, and he wrote a book called The Insanity of God. Great book. I'd recommend it. It'll mess with you, though. And he talks about in the 1990s how they were planning to go to Somalia. Remember Black Hawk Down? They were going to that Somalia. And as they were getting ready to go, they met with a, a, a missiologist uh, here in the United States and to talk about that. And, and my, I, I don't know who it was specifically, but he says it was a very small, quiet man sitting behind his desk in his office. And they walked into the office to meet this world-renowned missiologist. And the missiologist kind of looked at him and said, so you're the young couple that has the audacity to take the gospel to Somalia. And Nick, he kind of felt like, yeah, I know, I know. We know that Somalis are not responsive to the gospel. And with that, the missiologist jumped up and just about jumped over his desk, knocking a couple of papers on the floor. And this is what he said. He said, how dare you say that the Somalis are not responsive to the gospel when so many of them have never heard the gospel and been given the opportunity to respond. There are so many people who have not heard. So many people that God is preparing. His spirit is going ahead of us right now. And we don't know if, how, what their response will be until they actually hear. I experienced this a couple of times recently. A few months ago, I went into a closed country, uh, kind of on a, a scouting mission to see what God was doing with a couple of other people uh, and uh, in this particular closed country, I was a couple of things, a ton of things happened. Two things. Uh, I, I came out of the airport, uh, and my driver came to meet me to drive me where I needed to go. Uh, and he was a Muslim. And uh, we were sitting in the car together, and we we're talking, and he's showing me his, his beautiful city. And we had this great conversation about he was newly married, about what it was like to be newly married and walk through that transition, and what his life was like there, and, and, and how he spoke six languages but had never left the country. And me feeling like, well, I'm bilingual. <laughs> you know, I'd feel like, wow, um, people in other countries, there are so many people who are incredibly intelligent, and, and God has gifted them enormously. And I respected him incredibly. And at the end of that drive, he dropped me off of where I needed to be. And I was kind of disappointed because I didn't have the opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. A couple days later, we needed to make a one and a half hour drive to go to some villages and check some things out. And who was our driver? It was the same guy. It was so cool. So we started talking right away about Jesus. And we were talking about Jesus through the entire drive, and um, it was a great conversation. And I asked him um, if he had ever read Jesus for himself. 
if he'd ever read in a Bible, and he said, yes, he had. In fact, about two weeks prior to that, he had gone on his phone and was wondering, uh, why is this Bible you know, forbidden to, to, to give out in his country? And so he, he, he downloaded a version of the Bible, the New Testament, in Arabic and began to read it. And two weeks later, who's in the van next to him? I am. <laughs> Helping to explain who Jesus was. Later on, um, I was walking down the road with some other friends. It was amazing. Um, just meeting people and realizing that since I uh, was not there long term, um, if I speak with somebody and something happens, um, worst case scenario, I would get a free bus ticket to the airport and a thank you for visiting their country. Please never come back. And so I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to step out and, and in conjunction with the people who were there and try to make some contacts and have some conversations. And so I walked up to uh, a particular group uh, of, of young people and began to speak, and, and uh, it was a country where there are a few people who speak French, so I began speaking French. They spoke back to me. They're like, oh, Quebec. They heard my accent right away. They're like, oh, it's cold there. Yes, it is. So that's kind of... <laughs> and then they made the assumption that since I was from North America, then of course I'm a Christian, because as we know, all North Americans are Christians, right? And so we began talking about that and having a discussion about uh, Islam in that particular country, uh, and then um, in my country, and... Um, and it was interesting because one of the guys at that point in time spoke to me and looked at me and said, you know that Jesus did not die. And, and so I kind of struggled, how do I respond to that? Because I, I do not want to debate. It's not what I want to do. I want to share the good news of Jesus. And, and so I began to, to share, well, we know, we all know that, that God created everything. He created the universe, human beings and all of that, and everyone nodded their head, yes. And we all know that God is perfect. And they all nodded their head, yes, he is. And we all know that we aren't. Yes, that's true, we are not. We have, we have sin, we have evil, we have pride, we have lust, we have all of these things in us. Yes, that's true. And we all know that at the end of time, God is going to judge us for that evil. He's gonna judge that, and they all nodded their head, yes. But we also know that God is good. Yes, and that he loves us. And they're all nodding their head, yes, we know that, which is interesting. And then um, we all know because of that goodness, he wants to have a relationship with us. And that's why he came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he lived a perfect life, and then he died. But he didn't just die. He rose again, conquering sin, death, our spiritual enemies. And then one day, everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, then the evil inside of us is placed on his shoulders, and the perfection of Jesus is placed on us. And so one day in the day of judgment, we can walk into that day of judgment with no fear because when God comes to judge us, he's not gonna look at us as evil people. He's gonna look at us as, uh, as his children because that judgment was already paid for in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we say that Jesus never died, then we're also saying that Jesus was not resurrected and we're saying that at the end of time, we have no hope. silent in that group and the whole group looked at me and they started to say amongst themselves so that's why Christians say that Jesus died they had never heard that before 
Let's not make the assumption that people are going to reject Jesus who haven't heard. I got an email after that trip. Rob, thanks for your message. Great to hear from you. It was really great to meet and spend a little time with you. I was just with yesterday all day the driver that picked you up from the airport. He asked about you and kept going on and on about the impact you had on him and how nice and kind you were even just in the short time you were with him. He talked about Bob, and I had a really long beard at that point, who had the long beard, but wasn't a Muslim, but who follows Jesus. So it's cool you wrote today because I was just thinking about you yesterday and grateful for the impact you, you and the rest of the group had while you were here. We are also having a meeting tomorrow with a bunch of students and planning a day to take them and get to know more and share this is the university you stopped outside of and had the discussion with the students out on the street all surrounding you. I'm sure some of the ones we're connecting with were some that you had been talking to. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you and the rest of the group that came about the follow-up that's happening on some of the connections you made while here. Called them multiply disciples. We don't know. We don't know who God is calling to himself and who he isn't but we're called to multiply disciples. That's what we know. Of all peoples. So this word in Matthew 28, it's a phrase, pantata etne, make disciples of all nations. And this doesn't mean make a disciple in Iraq, a disciple in the US, and a disciple in Japan. That's not what it means. It's talking about peoples. And great examples of that, so, so my wife and I have spent the last 12 years in Quebec, Canada, and you have French-speaking Quebecers versus English-speaking Canadians that are so different, and they have a different history, and they have a different cultural values. Here in the United States, we have uh, multiple Native American tribes here who, who do not share the same cultural history as other tribes do. These are different peoples. And even here, we have people from all Nations, different peoples who are a part of this community and part of the larger Denver area. And he's calling us to make disciples of those peoples. And what I'd like to do is, um, is I'd like to talk a little bit about what God is doing around the world and just get our mind around that this morning. Because one of the things that can happen to us if we're watching the news too often, because the news is not about God's mission. The news is about eyeballs, Right? Well, God is working all around the world, and he's doing amazing, incredible things, including places like the Middle East right now. In fact, he isn't working in spite of the chaos. Often God works because of and through the chaos. How many times has there been some natural disaster and after that we see a movement of God in that people group that was so hardened to the gospel we, we, or we didn't have any way to get in there that we knew of and then all of a sudden this natural disaster happens and all of a sudden all of these people show up and they begin handing out food and loving people and then the people there ask them, why are you doing this? And their answer is usually it's because of Jesus. That marks people and places. So today, around the world, there are about 7 billion people, approximately, according to uh, the Operation World 2010 edition, 8% know Jesus, 7% in 2003, 
66 countries have some sort of persecution uh, against Christians. There are all of these overwhelming problems, HIV, AIDS, natural disasters, wars, famine, slavery, and extremism, and we can get discouraged. Islam, uh, this is also from Operation World, so one blue dot equals 50,000 Muslims, mostly North Africa, into the Middle East, and then down into Indonesia, Did you know that 80 plus percent of Muslims have never met somebody who claims to follow Jesus Christ? We need to see more followers of Jesus interacting with and loving and making disciples of people who call themselves Muslims. Hinduism is mainly in India, one dot for 50,000. However, the influence of Hinduism is obviously greater than that. Um, Buddhism... Uh, we see mostly in, um, in East Asia, in Southeast Asia, Japan, um, non-religious uh, people. You got to see China, Europe, um, North, North America. Here's for the accountants in the group. Jesse, this is for you. Actually, all of us. So on the left-hand side are the countries, the political entities with the highest percentage of evangelicals in the world. On the right are the lowest. Look on the left. Of the top 25 countries in the world, only two would be considered Western nations. The United States and the Faroe Islands. And we all know where the Faroe Islands are, right? There are about 50,000 people that live there. God is working in the non-Western world right now. He is doing amazing works around the world. And we can be a part of it, both making disciples in our communities as well as going overseas. Each and every one of us were part of this mission that God is accomplishing. Percent of global evangelicals by continent. So if we took the evangelicals in the entire world and we put them in a big pie and we cut it up via continent... 17% of the world's evangelicals are in North America, 33% in Africa, 27% in Asia. So there are more people who claim to follow Jesus, who claim that only Jesus can save us from our sins, from death, through his death and resurrection, by grace, through faith alone. More people in Africa than North America. More people in Asia than um, North America or Latin America. However, there are a lot more people in Asia, right? So uh, the actual percentage of people who would claim to follow Jesus in that way in Asia are only about 4%. Whereas in North America, the percentage of North Americans who would claim that publicly are about 27%. And obviously, these are round numbers. We're just getting a general idea. Unreached people groups uh, by population Unreached people groups where there is, there is no indigenous movement with the resources necessary to, to reach the rest of uh, that people group with the cause of the gospel. As of 2010, although there have been a few changes, most of these groups are in Asia, in countries we generally do not like to visit or that we simply do not understand. We need to see people interacting, mingling, living, and making disciples there. Who's going to go? Top 10 countries with unreached populations. 
again. I mean, who's planning their family vacation to Pakistan, right? These are generally places we don't like to go. We need people going and living there. And I just want to finish with this encouragement here, the relentless advance of the gospel. I love this. This was a slide put together by Operation World in 2010. And so it's the advance of the gospel from 1960 to 2010. Don't miss this. Look at uh, Brazil, South America, then look over at um, Africa, West and East Africa, and then look over and up at South Korea. And we can ask ourselves sometimes, does it really make a difference? Does it make a difference for me to drive into my community with the eyes of a disciple maker saying that I've been called by God in this community? Does it really make a difference to move to a place like West Africa and give my life there? Well, let's see from 1960, you see the date on the bottom, to 2010, one blue dot equals 50,000 evangelical believers. Let's see what happened from 1960 to 2010. Traveling to other countries, serving and loving them in the name of Jesus, inviting them to follow the same Jesus as we lay our lives down in radical love for others, it makes a difference. It is effective. This is the product, one of the products of taking seriously the mission Jesus is asking us, his church, to be a part of. Isn't that awesome? Now, there's a lot of work left to be done, but God has not taken a vacation. He's not, he's not left the world. He's still moving. That again. Our mission is nothing less or more than participating with God in this grand story until he brings it to its guaranteed climax. And it's gonna happen It's unstoppable. Remember, each follower of Christ is unique, and God desires to use that uniqueness to multiply unique disciples for his glory. And so what do I take away from this today? What do I do about this? I don't know what God is calling you to right now. But number one, actually, I do know, generally, in a general sense, where are you going tomorrow morning? Where are you going tonight? Who's going to, into some kind of sports-related activity? One, no one. <laughs> we need to work on that one. Who's going into some kind of media-related work, job? We don't have that either? One person. God's called you to make disciples there. How about education? Who's going into education-related something as a student or a teacher? God has called you to make disciples in that milieu. What about healthcare? Who's involved in healthcare? Yes, God has called you to make disciples there. How about business? I think some people are raising their hands in multiple places. That's great. How about government? Municipal, state, federal, a few. Yes, God has called you to make disciples in government. How about the arts? You're going to have to work on that one too. Okay. Family-related things. You're raising children. You're caring for your parents, whatever. 
Um, you know, God has called us to make disciples there. How about science or agriculture? Got to work on that one too. Bunch of suburbanites. Okay. <laughs> Police and fire. Yes. And, and, and one, it's unique. So what it looks like to make disciple as a teacher or as a student is very different from a police officer or a fireman. These are not the same things, but we're all called to make disciples in that milieu. So, so that's a general call that we're all called to. And two things um, that the church is working on right now, which you can be a part of, one of them is we're actually relaunching the third service Sunday evenings, and we're starting a four-week vision casting piece. So if you're interested in being a part of being sent, kind of sent in right now to to South, we'd be part of a, of a push towards our community. We're starting that. And if you or I would like to know more about that, I'm actually leading that up. We're starting four nights of vision casting. Um, you can write your name and email and put it in the baskets on your way out. If God, uh, you're, you're feeling some kind of restlessness, restlessness in your soul, and we see that as a first step towards church planting. But secondly, also, I know Rodney and other people are working on, Aaron Bjorklund, working on next week starting an Adopt Our World Partners push as well. So next week, to love and bless people who are going out to other parts of the world. I'm going to finish with one statement. And uh, where do you go? Where are you going? If you are a follower of Christ, you are unique and God desires to use that uniqueness to multiply unique disciples where you're going. Let's pray. God, we want to celebrate this. Thank you for your call to your entire church to be part of this. We love you, and we're, um, we have the expectation that you do powerful things through this church and through each one of us individuals as we take this role on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.